Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert and woman who knows the love of a taciturn man, Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm film scholar Noelle LaCroix, and I make Godot look punctual. <laughs> and we're here today to talk about Enemies, the 17th episode of season three. Enemies aired on March 16th, 1999, and was written by Douglas Petrie with Jane Espenson as executive story editor and Doug Petrie as story editor. This episode was directed by David Grossman. Like every episode of Still Pretty, this one fully spoiled, everybody. So if you're spoiler sensitive or you haven't seen all of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and, you know, a good chunk of Angel, because why the heck not, um, go ahead and, you know, have a lost weekend and then come back. I don't know that you could do it in a whole weekend. I think maybe Whatever. you could if you were, if you you were really dedicated. I believe in all of you. <laughs> It's 144 <laughs> episodes and they're 45 minutes each and no commercial. Okay, I'm sorry. I can't do the math. You but... didn't. Nobody told me there was going to be math on I this. I know. Come on, man. Oh, there's nothing uncool about strong teeth and bones. So let's load up on calcium and go on patrol. In Enemies, Buffy and Angel step out from watching a steamy movie together and have a hard time. Oh, because <laughs> movies are sexy now. Faith interrupts them and takes Buffy out on patrol, where they bump into a demon wanting to sell them the Books of Ascension, which are pivotal to the mayor's plans. Buffy lets the demon go, and Faith reports everything to the mayor, who has a plan. Find this demon, kill the heck out of him, and bring the books to me. And if Buffy gets to him first? Oh, well... Frankly, I don't like to think about that. I like good, positive, up thoughts. If you failed me in that way, well, you know, replacing Mr. Trick was chore enough. <laughs> At the library, Willow has read about the Ascension, and the history is not good. The last time an Ascension was mentioned, an entire town disappeared. Cordelia comes in, asks Wesley out, and leaves him there to think about it. He turns his attention to the work at hand, getting the Books of Ascension from the demon. Faith, however, is already on it. She shows up at the demon's apartment and finds them all there in great condition. Now, the five grand, it's, um, you know, negotiable. I don't like to haggle. <laughs> After killing the demon, Faith goes to Angel's to ask him for help. She shows him the blood on her hands, tells him she's scared, and then while they're talking, she tries to seduce him. He turns her away, and as she's leaving, she kisses him on the cheek, which Buffy sees as she's about to walk in the mansion. Faith leaves, and Buffy leaves without saying a word. Back at her swank apartment, Faith reports to the mayor that she failed at seducing Angel. We want to take Angel's soul away. If we can't do it by giving him happiness, well, by golly, we'll just have to do it in the most painful way imaginable. Wesley tells Buffy she needs to go find the demon and get the Books of Ascension. Xander found the demon's address and gives it to Buffy. Just as she's about to leave on her own, Faith comes by and tags along. They go to the demon's apartment, find the dead demon, and Faith drags Buffy out before she can look around too much. Meanwhile, the mayor has summoned a glowy-eyed demon to do a very specific job. You have risked great danger in calling on me. The deadliest magics are needed to rob this creature of its soul. Big job, all right. And so it shall be done. At school, Buffy tells Willow about Angel and Faith. Willow says that Angel would never do that to her. He loves Buffy. Willow sends Buffy to go talk to Angel and clear the air and get rid of all this stupid false conflict. 
At Angel's, Faith shows up, pretending to apologize for her behavior the night before, but then she throws some blood on him and the glowy-eyed demon comes out from the shadows and chants. Angel falls to the floor and when he gets up, he's Angelus again. He and Faith trade a few blows and then Faith gets down to her offer. Last time you got like this, Buffy kicked your ass all the way back to hell. Do you want to do better this time? Still listening. Good boy. Now all you gotta do is play nice and call truce, and I'll hook you up with the real power in this town. Interested? Very. Get ready to meet the new boss. Later that night, everyone's in the library as Wesley tries to get a plan together, and he asks where Angel is. Buffy says she doesn't know. She went to the mansion, but he wasn't there. She also doesn't know where Faith is. Giles tells Buffy to break into the mayor's office to try to find the Books of Ascension. Oz suggests going to the Hall of Records to look for information, and Giles suggests that Wesley take the group there. Xander hangs back to patrol the streets. Meanwhile, at City Hall, Faith shows off a dangerous Angelus to the mayor. Angelus throws a letter opener at the mayor, and it goes through the mayor's hand, which instantly heals up. I'm what you might call impervious. Can't be killed or harmed in any way. And that's just a cornerstone in my plans for this great town of ours. Angel and Faith show up at Buffy's house and Joyce lets them in. They go upstairs and tell Buffy they've got the books back at the mansion. When they arrive at the mansion, Angel reveals himself as Angelus to Buffy and he knocks her out while Faith watches, smirking. At the library, Willow discovers a picture of Mayor Wilkins from a hundred years ago. He's not human. Xander comes in, reporting that Angelus is back and Faith is with him. At the mansion, Angel has Buffy chained to the wall, and Faith reveals a bunch of torture instruments. As, you know, you do. Before we get started, I just want you to know, if you're a screamer, feel free. Buffy asks Faith what's in it for her, and Faith rants about how everyone loves Buffy no matter how hard Faith works as a slayer. Buffy has friends, a mother, a watcher, and Faith gets nothing. Buffy deliberately makes Faith angry and gets the mayor's plan from Faith. On graduation day, the mayor will ascend, and at that point, Faith will be the one with everything, and Buffy will have nothing. I never knew you had so much rage in you. What can I say? I'm the world's best actor. Second best. Yep. Turns out Angel never turned into Angelus. This was the plan all along to get Faith to tell them everything she knows. Buffy's not even tied to the wall. But then the Scoobies bust in and everyone is fighting and they think Angel's gone bad. And it's all chaos as Buffy and Faith fight and end up with knives at each other's necks. But Faith knows that Buffy can't kill her and she kisses Buffy on the forehead and rushes off. At the library, we discover that glowy-eyed demon guy is an old buddy of Giles's and tip Giles off to the mayor's plan to turn Angelus and they put the whole farce together. It all worked out pretty well, except the part where Angel had to make out with Faith while Buffy watched. Buffy tells Xander that Angel hitting him was just an act, but she doesn't look convinced. Later at his house, Buffy says that even though he did what she asked him to, it was still hard to see him even pretend to be Angelus, and she needs a break from him. She turns to walk away, and Angel watches her go. You still my girl? All right, so 
Noel, before we get started today, I wanted to hop in with a little correction from the last discussion that we had. At some point during the discussion, I started talking about bisexuality as though I have actually any idea what the hell I'm talking about. And the way that bisexual men are perceived to be bisexual, um, if they've had any, you know, relationship, any sexual encounters with men, but women are not perceived to be bisexual if they've had encounters with women, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, all of the people who were yelling at me, you can thank Jonathan. Jonathan came into the Discord chat um, and corrected me really nicely, very gently. But like, I understood there was a lot of frustration expressed there because I didn't understand what I was talking about, um, which is completely understandable because I'm straight. I haven't had these experiences. I don't know exactly how all of these, you know, very complicated like social dynamics actually work. Um, so anyway, um, Jonathan came in and basically said, that what happens is that men who are bisexual are perceived to be gay and closeted and women who are bisexual are perceived to be straight um, and just kind of like having a fling or whatever. They just had a, a dalliance or whatever. Um, and that in the end, what really happens is that bisexual people are not believed. Anna came in and made this really nice, simple construct where she said, um, Bisexual women are perceived to be straight and lying about it. And bisexual men are perceived to be gay, but lying about it. Right. Um, and the fact that bisexual people are not really allowed to just exist in a space where they could just be bisexual as though it's anybody's goddamn business anyway. Right. Um, so apparently like this, this, from what I understand, tends to be a very difficult thing and a very like, you know, kind of difficult subject within the LGBTQ community. I stepped my foot in it without really meaning to. So I apologize really. Cause I didn't, I didn't mean that at all. Um, and, uh, and I feel kind of bad about it, but I'm also really, really glad that, um, that I was called out on it, that people were talking about it and that I was able to receive a, a really nice kind of education so that if I ever do decide that I should sit here and talk about these things again, <laughs> <laughs> that maybe I can do it with a little more understanding. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Thank you to Jonathan and to Anna. Yeah. And, you know, for my part, I am always speaking from my own experience. And it's easy yeah. to, you know, it's easy to forget that my bubble is not everyone's reality. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, it's, it is a problem with any, you know, anytime we talk about literally anything. We can only bring ourselves to the conversation. Right. So, you know, it's very easy for me to sit here and be like, well, I know, you know, so and so and such and such and they're bisexual and they're totally accepted and everything's fine. And we've solved bigotry within the LGBTQ Yay! community. No, that's not true. Right. Like, it's not true at all. Um, and yeah, I mean, the Discord chat is just incredible. People are having mm -hmm. such smart, um, kind conversations yes. Yes. there. And, you know, it's really, it's, it's a really great place to be. And it's just wonderfully, like wonderfully accepting and, um, also a great place for people to hold each other accountable in this like really loving way. So it is. It's we really appreciate nice all of you. And thank you to everyone on Twitter who yes. heard my cry for bisexual male representation mm -hmm. in 
film and television. Um, I got so many great recommendations for TV shows that feature uh, male bisexuality. Yes. And also, I'm just so like moved to hear that some of those those characters were really instrumental for our listeners and, you know, um, working through and, and identifying their own bisexuality. So... Yay! Yeah. I mean, representation, you guys. It like. matters. It matters a great deal. It really does. And um, you know, and part of the thing too is like I wanted to come in here and absolutely apologize, but not speak over you about it because you are like closer to this experience. But also at the same time, like you can't represent everybody's experience, and it is not fair to expect <laughs> you to close. do that. <laughs> right? Exactly. So it's so we yeah. we need you guys to like let us know what your experiences are. We're only going to be able to talk about them as well as we can. I'm absolutely not going to be able to get everything right um, because nobody can. Um, but it's really nice to be able to get uh, get that kind of gentle correction. And that actually happens a lot in in the Discord chat where um, where people will talk about things and they're not they're they're not afraid to make a statement or to say something or ask a question because if they're wrong, somebody will come in and give them a broader perspective and kind of like open up that space. You know, and I also don't want to necessarily phrase everything in terms of right and wrong. Like once again, you know, we want to simplify everything down to a binary. You know, there's just like there's what you know and then what you don't know that you don't know. And like other people can kind of mm-hmm. fill in those spaces for each other. And I think it's really nice. But this is the thing. This is why it's so important. Why representation matters for all a broad, you know, swath of human experience. Um, because this is apparently a very common um, experience within the LGBTQ community. And I had no idea. I've never seen it represented. I've never seen that perspective represented in any of the media that, that I've consumed, you know, and I haven't consumed, I think, enough of this like bisexual male representation that you got on Twitter. We're going to have to sit down and have ourselves like a night with some popcorn and some and some TV binging. Um, but, you know, I mean, the thing is that when you have somebody who has the experience writing about these things and telling these stories, then that information gets out out there that experience is empathetically felt by people watching it so uh, so we need more LGBTQ writers out there doing the work so people who are in a position to hire LGBTQ please do and LGBTQ please write absolutely tell the stories have some fun <laughs> um, also on Twitter, I wanted to throw out um, a nod to at License to Mock, who said, um, listening to the Doppelgangland episode, realizing that the mayor's relationship to Faith mirrors Giles's to Buffy in terms of being a father figure, except where Giles kind of forces Buffy to grow up, the mayor encourages Faith to be a child. And I think that's a really interesting perspective, although I kind of like, because I, I don't... I don't know. I think he does encourage her to be a child, but I also feel like he's trying to give her something that she never had. She never got to be a kid, you know? So I I don't really necessarily see that as a negative thing, but I love this, you know, like this new angle kind of on that reflection that these relationships have. That was really nice. So, so well done at license to mock. Yeah. Yeah. Our listeners are so smart. I know. And and I love that. They're they're also very good looking. I have they to say. are really good looking. We have some of the, <laughs> the prettiest and most handsome um, view, uh, listeners that uh, of anybody of any like you know media company out there. I think ours 
are absolutely the best. And the way that you can be the best if you want to join in on Discord and be part of that conversation with all of these incredibly good looking people, um, smart and good looking, both of which are very important when you're online. Um, go to patreon.com slash chipperish. And for as little as a dollar a month, you can join this community of amazing, amazing people and have these discussions behind the scenes, which is really, really fun. So thank you, everybody, for participating in that. And now I think we can start talking about this week's episode, Enemies. Because, oh, my God, what'd you think, Noelle? I really want to call it frenemies. You do. I know that wasn't a word in 1999, <laughs> but I'm just like, right. I mean, if it was a word in 1999, it wasn't in the in the, it wasn't enough know, culture in the at large. Culture, right. But, mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> cut that frenemies. Yes. Really. They really are. It is absolutely um, perfect. Uh, yes, I have. I have many thoughts. I have many, many thoughts. And I mean, speaking of like faith and her relationship with the mayor and bisexuality yes. for that matter. Yes. Uh, she goes on quite the emotional journey yes, in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I love her her picking up Buffy from her accidentally sexy date with Angel. Yes. <laughs> calling them lust bunnies. <gasps> but Yeah. Do you think that's a mistake? This... I mean, okay, so here's the thing. We've been talking about this bisexuality with Faith. I think that it is fairly clear and almost textual that Faith in some way is in love with Buffy. Right. Oh, yes. It's absolutely textual. I mean, clearly. Right. So is it a coincidence that she happens to interrupt the date with patrolling at that point? Like she is waiting outside that movie theater. They have gone 15 feet before she's right on them. Totally. No, I I got the sense that she knew that Buffy was like, this is her her role. Yeah. Right now is to pick Buffy up from her date. <laughs> right. Like she knows to that Buffy is on this date. The, date. Yes. the movie gets out at this time, yeah. mm-hmm. and she's gonna come get Buffy. You know, and she says, "Don't worry, big guy. Just keeping her warm for you." In this great, like this great. It's such a faith line. But yeah. what I love about this scene where she's, you know, she's watching them have this intimate moment. Mm-hmm. There's so much of like. There's like deep emotion wound up in her lines here yeah. and that layered envy and jealousy really, I mean, on both sides mm-hmm. of the relationship, you know, at envious that Buffy has the kind of love and support that she has mm-hmm. and jealous that Angel gets to be with Buffy and perhaps also jealous of Buffy for getting to be with Angel. Yeah. Um, and just like all of the feelings and all of the hurt and she's standing there and trying to, you know, be cool and no big deal and five by five. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it's so it's so nuanced. Yeah. Um, and it's possible, you know, it's also possible that I'm just reading a whole bunch into Faith because she seems like such a um she's she's like a character who wears a mask over her mask over her mask well you know or a she's character like, who wears her or has so many genuine facets to who she is because like yeah, you know that's true too when she goes to see angel right so we have this mm-hmm. she goes to see angel she plays the vulnerable kitten card right mm-hmm. and tries to kiss him and all that but everything she's saying like i think is also genuine i think that she is complex i think all of these sides of her are all genuine mm-hmm. to a certain degree. Yeah. Now, I have because this is an episode that that fucks with the audience. Yes, we'll talk about we'll that. We'll get in a to minute. that. Um, I have no idea how genuine Faith is in that scene where yeah. she goes to talk to Angel, and I don't know. And this this is where I wanted I want to call like 
I don't know, shaky writing, shaky, shaky mm-hmm. direction, something like something is off because I feel like if that is a scene where Faith is meant to be lying to Angel or playing Angel, that it needs to be clearer right. or if she's being genuine. Like I should feel that it's more genuine or if it's a mixed bag. I want that to be communicated more clearly. Clarity, and I think, exactly. I, mean, mm-hmm. I think it's door number three. Like, yeah. I think the answer is it's door number three. That yes. she is both playing this, but also... But using real stuff. She's method, right? Yes. <laughs> she's, using, oh, she's using real things <laughs> and real feelings yeah. in order to be able to play this with Angel. And I think that I think that it is. But, I mean, you're absolutely right, though. We do need that clarity. And it's one thing in this episode, because here we have, this is one of our first misleads, right? We've got a couple of them in this episode. They're all shitty. Um, But this is our first mislead that we see her going to see Angel. And it's all so hard for her. And she's struggling with it. She struggles with, you know, she's got blood on her hands from killing the demon, all this kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. And she's playing that up for him. And then she kisses him. Right. And he turns her down and then she leaves. She goes back to the mayor and reports in that, hey, I tried to take a soul away, but he wasn't into it, you know. Yeah. And so we know at that point that she was playing Angel and playing us in that moment because some of us may have felt that she was genuine, you know. Yeah. Um, So it's, it's hard to figure out exactly where the line lies with Faith because... I think a lot of this does come. I think she's chosen her side now because there is no mm-hmm. going back. Like she's yeah. she's burnt the bridge. Absolutely. Everybody may not know yet that she's burned it, but she has burned it and she knows. But I think that there's a lot of genuine, like this is a genuine experience for her. Well, it's interesting in the scene that precedes that visit to Angel, you know, to with with blood on her hands where she stabs the demon. She Mm -hmm. goes to, you know, she goes to the demon's apartment, (laughs) which I don't know why the demon's apartment is just so delightful to me, but it is. (laughs) Uh, But she goes and she, you know, she says, I'm not one to haggle and she stabs him and he falls over and she's cool with that. Like the one stab she can do, but then when he grabs her ankle and there's a struggle and he's clearly still alive and she has to stab him a couple more times. Yeah. That's when it seems to shift for yeah. her from, I can totally do this, like, evil killing demons thing yeah. to, oh, shit, this is scary and brutal and I don't want to be doing it right. necessarily. Mm-hmm. So I think, I mean, again, it's, it is definitely like a both and with yeah. faith. Yeah. Um, but it's it's not clear enough in the episode, and that is just a bummer. Right. And I think it's because they really are going for that twist. I actually, I really like the complexity with Faith. I like the fact that, the fact that I can read it any, you know, which way. But because of what the writers are doing in this episode, they've lost my trust. You mm-hmm. know, they've lost my yeah. trust because we've got this mislead. And I just want to take a few moments to just bitch and whine about this now. <laughs> So that I can hopefully (laughs) shut up about it through the rest of the episode. (laughs) Because this is exactly what what I'm talking about when I talk to writers and I say, don't lie to your audience. This is exactly what I'm talking about. When you lie to your audience, and this is not, you know, this does not mean that you can't have a twist. This does not mean, it means that when your audience goes back and watches it again, knowing what's happening. Everything needs to be consistent. Everything needs to make sense within that context. And that's not the case here. We have moments where Buffy and Angel are alone 
Faith has gone, left the room, and they're still playing, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So that shows, that makes us believe, you know, the message to us is this is real, this is legit, right? And this is because they want to have that big twist, that psych moment, right? You know, when she opens, yeah. she raises her hands, and she was never even chained to the wall. And Faith in <laughs> slow motion looking back and <laughs> forth, you played me, you played me, like all that stuff. And like, I get it, like the the twist and being able to pull off the twist is fun when you can do it right and when you can do it fairly, but you have to play fair. And um, and so they didn't entirely play fair. And that's kind of what pisses me off about this whole thing. Um, and it, it comes off as one of these things where like, hey, you lied to me. Now that I know that you're willing to lie to me, you've lost my trust. Now I'm going to look with a gimlet eye at everything that you do. And as a writer, I think that cost is just too much because it actually takes some of your power off the table when you play this kind of a mislead. Um, now, you know, uh, the other thing is that like when the demon quote unquote takes angels. So soul, there's this big light show about it. It really looks to us the way that it looked you know, when we saw mm-hmm. Angel losing his soul before, you know, and so this this guy, you know, he's a demon. He's a glowy eyed demon. Right. It's just a yeah. light show. He's just doing a big show. Angel falls to the ground, always falling on his stomach, you know, always falling <laughs> to the ground on his stomach. Apparently, that's how you lose your soul through the floor. If he just slept on his back like infants <laughs> that we put on their back. Right. Ah! So that they can sleep safely. He'd be fine. Right. Um, right. But he always falls down. That's that's where he goes wrong. Um, So we have this whole thing. It's very reflective of the experience we had before when Angel becomes Angelus, Um, you know, and we see him really playing up the part. Um, And I think that while it's okay, like it's legit, the they're doing this for faith faith is there watching they have to make it a show they have to pretend they have to do all this stuff if we even had a different kind of light show that didn't look exactly like the effect that we had seen before that's a clue to the audience this isn't exactly like it was before you know um so that we get a sense like and and that's the kind of thing that in the moment an audience member might not realize but when they go back and watch it over again you know, um, then they can they can think about that and be like, oh, OK, well, that was different. Like, that's a clue. Yeah. If you drop little clues in there so that your audience, you know, you're playing on the momentum of their presumptions, you know. Um, but if you drop enough clues in there to just give that hint then when they go back, they're not going to feel like they were fucked with, you know. Mm-hmm. But now, like at the end of this episode, I'm like, well, you just, you know. You messed with me. Plus the fact that we've got Wesley and Xander and Willow and Oz, all of whom are not in on it, who don't know what's happening. And so when they come in, they're ready to kill Angelus. Now, if one of them had a crossbow and some aim, that could have ended really badly. Why not tell the rest of the group? And the thing is, is because if the rest of the group knows, then we don't get to have these moments where the audience is freaking out over it. Yeah. I hate it. I hate it. (laughs) I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it so much. And I love a twist. I love a story that has all kinds of elaborate scaffolding in place just to hold up this one twist ending (laughs) or better yet, a twist middle. Right. If you Alfred Hitchcock me, I will love you for it. A midpoint twist. here's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. You, in order for that to work and for it to be satisfying, 
you have to, I mean, that's some hella story construction that yes. has to happen yes. in order for the twist to feel like, oh, yeah, like you, yeah, you, you, you got me. Fucked exactly. with me. You fucked because with me, but I liked it. Most of the time they lie, there. right? Because yeah. it's easier to lie to get that buy-in from your viewer, from your reader, right? Uh-huh. Um, and the thing is that you don't have to lie. You have to work a lot harder to make a twist work, you know? And I blame yeah. M. Night Shyamalan for this bullshit. We have this fetish in our storytelling, and I know this because I've been training young storytellers for years, and they all do this. <laughs> I give them a 15-minute script, and they're like, oh, but here's the twist. I'm like, no. Any of you puts a twist in there, I swear to God, you're going to fail this class. <laughs> I will fail you. Because they work so hard to put up all this scaffolding around this, this story so that they can do a twist. And nine times out of ten, the only way they know how to pull off the twist is to lie to the audience. And no, you yeah. don't get to lie to your audience. A good twist you never lie to your audience now m night Shyamalan Mm -hmm. didn't lie to the audience in sixth sense he had that big twist and yeah that was great and it was well constructed and it's fine right um but because of that everybody's like oh we have to have a big twist no you do not good story there are no big twists in freaking Pride of Prejudice. Well, I guess there's the moment when you find out that Darcy was the one who actually, you know, went and saved it. But whatever. <laughs> bottom line is, bottom line is, you do not need a twist. You do not need a twist. What you need are good characters and a story well told. The twist is not necessary for that. But writers become obsessed with the twist. Like, we have to have this surprise. And that is absolutely not what we need. We don't need a surprise. You go back to the stories that you love over and over and over again. How many times have I seen Buffy? A gazillion times. Was I surprised by this the first time? After that, no, because I knew what was happening because I remembered having seen it before. But I go back to it and go back to it and go back to it over again, not for the surprise, but for the experience, you know, uh, of the way that these stories are told, the way that these characters, um, you know, go through the world and the new things that I bring to it and that I see in it every time I watch it again. Um, So when when you writers out there and I know you're out there, knock it off. Stop it. It's bad <laughs> writing. You do not need a twist. Um, everybody everybody keeps doing that and keeps going for that like it's required and it's not. It's not what makes you a good writer. What makes you a good writer is being able to do all the other stuff that is not right. so flashy, but that makes a good story. So um, I've yeah. ranted about the, yeah. the mislead. I'm hoping well- that I got it out of my system. <laughs> well, and I mean, just to conclude all of that, the thing about a poorly constructed twist is that that it means all the good stuff happens off screen. Yes. Yes. Like how much would you have loved to see like the process of planning this? Oh, Buffy asking Angel to do this for her. Right. When he knows that she's going to watch him being yeah, and jealous. And he's, you know, and have that conversation of like, well, if I'm going to do this, I have to really do it. Do you know what that means? Right. Because That's when he's great, in it, yeah. When he's in it, he's really in it. And actually, it's one of my my problems with the way this twist is not foreshadowed. Yes, is when he's back as Angelus, he's way too good at being Angelus. Yeah, like he's so at least for my money, right? He's just he's way too convincing. And I'm like, all right, he's back. Right. But But you want to see that inner conflict. You want to see him struggling with that. The moment where he throws the, um, the letter opener at the mayor, you want that to be his, his moment of hoping that he could just end all this right now. 
yeah. and stop it, yeah. right? You want to know that he doesn't want to do this. Um, and, you know, and seeing Buffy, you know, when she's watching him with Faith and all of that stuff, and we see this, like, jealous and hurt on her, this jealousy and hurt on her face. Mm-hmm. But knowing that what's actually going on is that she is being re-traumatized in that moment, you know, um, living through that with her, knowing that Angel knows what he's doing to her in that moment, you know, all of that yeah. is going to give you so much more juice from these characters than the twist mm-hmm. gives you. The twist gives you that one moment, but everything yeah. else, there's so much more that could that could have been done here that could have been really great. Yeah, especially if we if we're in on it, if the yeah. audience is in on it and we're watching Faith love it and think yeah. she has the upper hand and feel like she's finally getting this thing that she wanted. Now she's not, you know, really getting it because yes. it's not, you know, either way, even mm-hmm. if Angel had turned, it still wouldn't really be real, but she doesn't yeah. care. She's willing to settle for you know, this vampire boyfriend who's right. totally going to kill her. Oh, like, yeah, no, absolutely going to kill I her. I love that little bit where <laughs> where Buffy Buffy tries to warn her and is like, look, when he's done with me, yeah. he'll just end you. And Faith thinks and about it and is like, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm down. Yeah, all right. So we'll just keep you around longer. Right. Like, it would be so heartbreaking to watch Faith go through this knowing that Angel and Buffy are putting on this show for her to have right. to like to watch someone that we care about buy into it when mm-hmm. we know that it's a lie. Like there's something really Yeah. I don't know, like kind of cathartic, grossly satisfying about that. Right. Because she does want this connection so much. She wants all of those things that she yes. tells Buffy, you know, she never had or she, um, you know, Buffy gets and she doesn't. We hear mm-hmm. about her mother twice yeah. in this episode. We hear, you know, she she jokingly but not jokingly says to Angel, you know, can we skip the my mother never loved me part? Right. And see, that's part of that genuine. She's methods. Yeah. She's pulling from something that's actually real. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I flash back to her very first appearance, her mm-hmm. her first episode beating up on a vamp going, my dead mother hits harder than exactly. that. Like, this is a real, real point of pain for her. Yeah. So when the mayor comes in and is like dad mayor yeah. to her mm-hmm. and gives her not just, you know, not just the things that she mm-hmm. never had, right. but the connection. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's so funny when he's talking to her and then he kind of interrupts himself to say, you know, you have such a nice face. Why don't you wear your hair back? <laughs> and her look like, yeah, what? Like, no one, like, yeah, it is kind of out of nowhere, but also no one ever cared about me like mm-hmm. that before. Right. And he's bringing her, like, he's bringing her this, kind of dad energy and Mm -hmm. i like i'm so here for it i mean pouring her that glass of milk yes that's not symbolic they said (laughs) facetiously like really guys i mean milk yes yes obviously i mean associated with childhood when was the last time you had a glass of milk with or without a meal as an adult but milk (laughs) is milk is the thing that parents give their children because it's good for them. Healthy bones and teeth, right? Yeah. That's what he's building up. Um, and so, I mean, it's it's nice to see her get that from him. 
you know, and she's she's got this very kind of like childlike role with him, whereas she has been in everything, always the kid who grew up too fast. Right. You know, she's way more mature. She's 17. Right. But she seems like, you know, 20 some. And she's also, you know, on her own, taking care of herself. Nobody's taking care of her. And there's that moment where she's taunting Buffy, you know, where she's Mm -hmm. like, you get the Scooby gang, you get the watcher, you get the mom, you know. So there's all of that. That's yeah. all wound up into everything that Faith's going through. And I think that what I would have enjoyed more in that moment where Buffy and Angel are actually playing Faith is knowing that they're doing that, but feeling for Faith in that moment. That Faith is, yeah, you know, taunting Buffy, but at the same time being like, I didn't get that. I didn't. Yeah. Like, when do I actually get somebody to care about me? And to say, I have somebody who cares about me now. You know, and that it's yeah. really about not about Angel, but about the mayor. Yeah. You know, I mean, the mayor, I mean, he's he is definitely the dad. Mm-hmm. You know, I love I love that point that. Yeah. At License to Mock gave us on Twitter because hell yeah, he's yeah. like he's like dad mayor. But I mean, he's also kind of. A mom to yes, her. I mean, the, like across cultures. I mean, milk connected to motherhood and nurturing. I mean, it's the first food for humans. It's and all mammals. I mean, yes. it's like literally in the in the name. Right. Um, he's feeding her. It's like. It's amazing. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, I love food on this show. Anytime food comes up, I'm going to talk about food. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that, like, he's he's feeding her, you know, this maternal energy, uh-huh. like, literally, yeah. with a glass of milk that he had prepared. Like, he has it out He has on the a counter, picture of which, warm okay, milk that's been sitting I mean, for how long? But, I don't Don't think about that part. No, right? no, no, no. Because, well, and this is how you know, like, this is how you know it's a metaphor. Because yes. you're like, the mayor would never. Like, he's, right. no, with his germophobia, he right. wouldn't he anyway. Would sit there and let but the milk just fester on his desk. Yeah. That's not the point. It's like desk <laughs> right. milk is a metaphor. It's not, right? it's not about what it is. It's about what it feels like. That's how TV and visual media work. Yes. That's how Mm -hmm. visual media works. Now you know how to interpret everything you watch ever. Yes. But he's both. So he's feeding her milk, but he's also throwing out one of the dadliest lines ever. There's nothing uncool about strong teeth and bones. (laughs) It's adorable. And I love the way I love the way he takes care of her. But there's also that moment, you know, in the beginning where he's like well, if you disappoint me, you know, if you screw up again, it was really hard yeah. to replace Mr. Trick. At the Bad same Dad. time, there's also this sense of menace and threat from him, yeah. you know, which makes Faith want that love even more, knowing that it can be taken away, yeah. you know? So, I mean, all of that, the the complex relationship structures underneath all of this are so interesting to me and I absolutely love the way that they play it and this relationship between the mayor and faith is I mean disturbing and dark but also sweet and 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 even though like it's faith is finally getting like what I would want for her you know to a certain extent like not from the 
demony evil guy but like that you right. would want somebody to care for faith that you would want somebody to give her a glass of milk and make sure she has a safe place to sleep at night and you know all of that stuff like you want that for her and and so what i love about this this whole thing with the mayor is that it really leaves you in this conflict in this internal conflict knowing it's bad but at the same time it's what you want yeah and they make her look so pretty yeah. when she's with oh, the mayor. The God. hair and makeup and lighting when Faith is with the mayor, especially after we've gotten the the wheels moving a little bit. And yeah. she's, you know, she's brought Angel back to the mayor's office and she's yeah. sitting on the mayor's desk and she's smiling up at him in this like sort of smoldery. I mean, because it's yeah. Faith and they're always going to make her look you know, very sexy, yeah. but also there's this sweetness to her expression and her hair is back off her face. I it's know. not all the way up. She's but not going to, you know, do a ponytail, but it's been, you yeah. know, sort of coaxed back from her face. And I'm just like, oh, baby, you so know, and sweet. then and then, of course, you know, dad mayor comes back out and <laughs> says to Angel, have her back by 11. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Faith has a curfew now, guys. Exactly. Like, this is how <laughs> evil has a curfew. What evil I'm saying is, don't forget that there are certain things that are always important, no matter what else you're doing. Yeah, and I mean, the mayor is horrible. I mean, he's he yeah. is like literally evil. Yes, like he is evil. He is, he is pure evil. Evil incarnate. He, yes, he's evil incarnate. But he really is a family man, you guys. Like he's leaning into this role of being the dad. So clearly, yeah, he. It's not just Faith who's getting something out of this relationship. The mayor is also enjoying mm-hmm. this, you know, kind of father figure role. And now every time I say father figure and Faith, and I'm just singing George Michael in my head. So right. <laughs> I have a couple of earworms going simultaneously. And now you all do too. Now You're does welcome. everybody else. Yes. Thank yep. you for passing. Sorry, that everybody. Along. I'm so sorry. If I have to suffer. <laughs> yes. Don't, don't suffer alone, honey. Not, you do not have to suffer alone. Absolutely. Um, oh, I also love the mayor at the end with the miniature golf thing. Oh, God. And when Faith yeah. cracks and laughs, apparently that was Eliza Dushku actually cracking and laughing. And they just kept it in because it was so cute. <laughs> It's perfect. It that is laugh perfect. is perfect. Mm-hmm. I love how how pleased he is with himself too. Yes. <laughs> and also Ted was a fan of miniature golf. Right. So I have decided that in Sunnydale, bad guys like miniature golf. So miniature golf is evil, huh? No. Uh Evil guys like miniature golf, but not all guys who like miniature golf are evil. Oh, like everything. All squirrels are furry, but not everything furry is a squirrel. It's like that. Okay. I <laughs> exactly. Get <it. laughs> I, yes. So bad guys like miniature golf and vampires like peanut butter. That's what we've established about okay. the world. All right. I like yes. it. I like it. We're just, you know, we're gathering the data, <laughs> gathering the data about how this world works. Details, um, people. It's, it's all in the details. It's all in the details. Okay. So I got to talk a little bit as speaking of dads, right? I got to talk a little Yay! bit about Giles. Because, oh my God, I love the whole new dynamic with Giles. I love the fact that Giles does not have to be the guy who's running things anymore. He doesn't have to be the wet goddamn blanket, right? He'd come in. It is so fun to see him quipping um, and being able to kind of play off of Wesley's, you know, sternness now. Wesley comes in and holds that, you know, that flag for him. So he doesn't have to. I mean, I love this moment where he's like, demons after money. Whatever happened to the still beating heart of a virgin? No one has any standards anymore. (laughs) 
always eating a banana. And it's not even lunchtime. Lunchtime be damned. <laughs> He's going to eat that banana. Banana. I love it. I yeah, love I it. love him quipping. I love mm-hmm. that with with Wesley here being all, you know, watchers council and stuffy. Yes. That Giles is now... I mean, he's so firmly on Team Buffy. I said this when Wesley showed up originally, but yeah. he's kind of got that, that but like you see the Buffy influence. Yes. And I he's love so it. snarky. It's I so great. I love it. I love it. And there's this moment later too. And it's so interesting because the thing is that when you're watching TV, um, like or any visual, anything that's that's produced, anything that's fiction, anything that's, you know, made like that, like every single choice is deliberate, like yes. every choice is deliberate. So everything that is in the scene is there for a reason. Like when you when you always notice the signs in the background, like I love that because you always pull yeah. the stuff in. And the fact is that somebody made a specific choice to put that sign in the background for whatever reason. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's always a reason. There's always something deliberate to it. And we had this um, scene in which Wesley and Giles are talking. Right. And. And Giles is just blowing his nose, right? Which is this incredibly human and kind of like, you know, a little a little gross. Like it's a human like hygiene yeah. thing, you know? Um, but he's there blowing his nose. And I'm like, why are they having him do that? And it's like it humanizes him. It kind of brings him down from that lofty perch, you know, that he's mm-hmm. been on for so long. And I, I like that they made that deliberate choice and then again later right you know um he's talking about how this demon this demon that has an apartment right which (laughs) is one of my favorite things this demon is i love this demon because this is the prototype from which we will later get clem right yes you know this humanized demon you know but that he has an apartment and giles is like again you see no standards any self-respecting demon should be living in a pit of filth or a nice crypt you know um (laughs) and i love that he's like this is the way things should be and i i don't i mean he's quipping for us like we think it's funny i'm not sure that giles doesn't mean it (laughs) i kind of think this may be actually how he feels about it right well i mean giles's world has been turned on its ear i mean he's just like He's a watcher with no job. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a, he's a school librarian, but like he's yeah. clearly, you know, he was a good watcher, damn it. And he knows all this information. And now this, this interloper is here trying to manage, you know, his slayer. I'm using yeah. air quotes here because I don't think that Giles, you know, feels has any possessive. sense of ownership over right. Buffy. But, you know, Giles knows what he's doing. He mm-hmm. knows Buffy. He knows the team. He knows how this works. And Wesley is just like bumbling his way through and it's and Giles has just had it hence the banana eating and the nose blowing and like (laughs) I really do think that this is just Giles you know slowly you know just scooching down towards just unbuttoning the, zero the top fox. button, right? That's all. Yes. We're just getting one button, Giles. Just one button. Just, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Maybe take the patches yeah. off the elbows, like just just a little bit. You don't have to give up the tweet entirely. <laughs> but the elbow patches maybe could go. Um, yeah. It's it's oh. really really fun. And of course now Wesley comes in and is playing this role. And and as we all know, right? I have a lot of love for Wesley even now, even now. Like Wesley. <laughs> Even we've now. we've still got this gross Wesley Cordelia thing going on, but at least it all seems to be on Cordy's side, which is mm-hmm. fine. Cordy can have a crush on Wesley. That's fine. That's normal. I love the way she comes in and she's like, yes, I'd actually like to study for English and your English. So. 
<laughs> oh I my study God. well at a, at a nice restaurant with dim light. <laughs> and the the looks that everyone oh exchanges. God. Like God, God bless our director. Yes. Thank you, thank you for cutting away. <laughs> thank you to the actors for the looks they they just yes. oh man, they have had it so hard. It's so it's funny. So, it's so fun. And the thing is that Wesley does not indulge it. We don't no. see him looking at her in that way. You know, we don't see him being like, boy, how much I'd love to break a law today. You know, we don't see any of that from him. Um, and he's he's so I like that. You know, he's shutting it down. Um, and I also really love, too, that Wesley wants to go to Giles. When Xander comes in and tells them that Angelus has turned, he says, we need to talk to Giles. And I love mm-hmm. that he's showing Giles respect. He's showing deference despite the fact that Giles is no longer part of the Watchers Council. And he is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but he's showing an understanding of of Giles's place, Giles's role and his experience and all of that, which I really, really love. Um, the only time, like then at the end, of course, we get that moment where he's he's all pissy that Giles didn't tell him about the, you know, the <laughs> deal with Angelus and uh, and wants to tell daddy watchers on Giles, you know. Um, but, yeah. it, but, you know, Wesley wasn't built in a day, people. This takes, <laughs> it takes time to go from this shit to I'll take away your bucket. It bucket. takes a while <laughs> To get it, and if you don't know what that reference means, go watch Angel and listen to Still Dead and catch up. It's all great. Um, so yeah, it takes a while to go from one to the other, you know, once one end of the spectrum to the other with Wesley. But I really do like that. Um, that at least he's not he's not like textually lusting after Cordelia, and we're not treating it as though it's cute. That, oh, here's this teenage girl that he loves, but he can't be with her because she's a teenage girl, you know? <laughs> um, and uh, and we, shouldn't, we shouldn't have that. Adult men should not be lusting after teenage children. So I'm just saying that's how it should not be. Um, Lolita can go fuck off. Nabokov can <laughs> fuck off. All of that is bad. Um, but anyway, so as long as we are on the topic of Watchers, we actually do have another message from our Watchers Council. So let's go ahead and cut away to our new Watcher, Bryony Wheaton. Hello, my name is Bryony Wheaton, stepping in for the day to give Clive Fletcher a much-needed rest. Yes, even watchers take the day off every now and again. The watching can be surprisingly tiring, as I'm sure you well know. But before we throw our enthusiastic support behind Chipperish Media and all the podcasts you love, I would like to take a moment to say that we are sorry if for any reason the Watchers Council has given the impression that we are at all insensitive to our rather patriarchal past. Like most institutions that have been around for millennia, it can take a while to get with the times, as the Americans like to say, but we are making a sincere effort to acknowledge and atone for our past while making confident strides toward a future of inclusion and consistency consideration for the real heroes, the Slayers. We here at the Watchers Council are but humble servants to the young women who live on the front lines of a war they didn't sign up for, who keep the rest of us safe from vampires, demons, and the forces of darkness. Without them, the world would be a much darker place, and to them we extend our heartfelt gratitude and appreciation for the sacrifices they routinely make to keep the rest of us safe. 
in much the way you might extend your heartfelt gratitude and appreciation for Chipperish Media, who are making all the podcasts you love about stories and the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Star Wars and explosive inspiration and Angel and, of course, our own beloved and much appreciated Buffy the Vampire Slayer. They do this work all free and ad-free and ask in exchange only that you visit patreon.com slash chipperish and maybe kick in a dollar or two a month to keep things running as, much like the Watchers Council, they are made possible by donations from generous benefactors like yourselves. Now go and give if you can. It's so very appreciated and have a lovely, lovely day. Wow, I gotta tell you, you know, it's I don't know what the hell happened to Clive, but she sounds <laughs> she sounds lovely. <laughs> I think the watchers are under like new management or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so coming back off of that, um, what did you think about Angel in this episode? Because oh, I know it's, it's kind of a complicated bag with Angel in this Angel, one. I mean. Everybody knows how I feel about Angel, right? Right. I've I've complicated feelings about Angel. But actually, I really, I love Angel's take on choosing not to have a physical relationship with Buffy. Yes. Beyond Mm -hmm. kissing. Yeah. Um, He's he's so sweet. Now, on paper, I feel like the line, look, I don't need to see movies to get worked up just being around (laughs) you does that just fine. Like, that could come across... Right, real gross. You like, really, really need gross. the delivery. The you very need the delivery. delivery from David Boreanaz for that. He's yeah. so wonderful. But then he mm-hmm. says, um, "It doesn't mean that I'm that I'm going to lose control or that I'm going to be frustrated around you. It feels nice just to feel that." And is I'm like, "Lovely." Oh, it is very sweet, so... especially because we have this cultural bullshit. About don't oh. get a man worked up. If you get him worked up, then you got to see it through because he uh-huh. might have, you know, Gross. consequences from being all excited around you and not being able to. <laughs> I can't help it because my exactly. penis will do a thing. You know, like my penis it's, will do a thing. It's ridiculous. And then but I must have sex. Yeah. yeah no, it's, it's, it's so terrible. like he's so lovely. And I love and, that he plays against that because that is and such I, bullshit. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love, I mean, I just love that line. Like, it feels nice just to feel. Just to feel. Right. And, and that, to be like, yeah, right. like slow it down and just kind of enjoy being together. And that is a great thing. I mean, and that all separate- the parts of a physical relationship can be enjoyable and satisfying without having to like have sex, like have it yeah. always end in an orgasm. It just doesn't have to. Yep. And I love I love them seeing an accidentally sexy movie. I love I the idea that Angel would take her to a movie. And it would be like movies you know, are different from what I remember. French art house, you know. Sure. It's not a real movie. I was really bummed. Oh, it's not, you were trying to find the movie? Yeah. I was kind of hoping that this actually was a movie right. about you know, that was just like ninety minutes of cunnilingus. It's not. Yeah. It's not a real movie. But we definitely <laughs> Which, get by the... the way, Angel can do that. Buffy can oh. be as happy as she needs to be. Right? And I'd like to believe that he's making sure of that. I would I like mean, to believe that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, a show on network television in 1999 is not going to is not going to go there. But yeah. there, there are a lot of fun things that you can mm-hmm. do in a relationship, kids. Yeah. Um, mm mm-hmm. Be safe, consent. 
<laughs> but of course, you know, when he says it feels nice just to feel, this yeah. ties into the question of real versus acting later on. I mean, right. Xander points it out. Angel really punched him for real. Right. <laughs> Which, given Which, some of Xander's, you know, bullshit, you know, is not necessarily uncalled for. <laughs> yeah. But also, like, yeah. that's, I mean... That that's a tough that's a tough yeah. blow. I mean, pun very much intended. Right. So we, you know, the audience and presumably also Buffy have to wonder what Angel might have felt when he was mm-hmm. acting with Faith. Right. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. you know, real bruises on Xander's face. And real kisses with yeah. Faith. You know, and, and he was Oh man, and yeah. he goes for it. Oh yeah. He goes for it. Which of course he would have to. And this is why I'm saying we missed the greatest yes. bit of setup for this. The yes. the conversation about, you know, Buffy, do you understand what you're asking me to do? And yeah. do you understand that committing to this means committing to it? I mean, I can like right. see I can see that scene and it would be so good and then it would make everything that comes after it. Yeah, so really much more yeah and meaningful yeah. because you know that like no he's really going for it and he's really feeling you know yeah he's feeling the physical things not in a lose your soul way but in a but know. that yeah that he's playing this role and the thing is is that that kind of brings me into this whole like traumatized buffy thing um we yeah. are playing a lot of these scenes and a lot of these moments because you know buffy sees faith trying to seduce angel and of course angel sends her away but there's one compromising you know misunderstanding moment which of course i also hate i love the fact that willow sits buffy down is like well go talk to him <laughs> because what did he say when you talked conflict. to him <laughs> exactly exactly and so i love that fa- that uh, willow at least calls that out uh, but we do have that moment of false conflict which is like this buffy is so jealous because faith is going after her man and all of that kind of stuff and then we have you know uh, angel kissing faith in front of buffy and there's all of that and it was just an act and everything and we're we're really playing it in this episode as though what Buffy is upset about is that he is kissing another girl right mm-hmm. um, and the thing is that I think there's so much more available here that is is also there a little bit but I don't I feel like that's not what we're playing to with the way that we're using facial expe- expressions and responses and like all of this kind of like you know subtextual not not actual written in the dialogue stuff but Buffy is watching Angel pretend to be Angelus And that is a hugely traumatizing period of her life from the moment that she found him in his apartment after they'd had sex. And he says, oh, you were a pro, you know, Um, all of from that moment to when she stabs him in the heart. That is hugely, hugely traumatizing for her. And I think that like at the end, when she says watching you do this and be that like I don't feel like she's talking about faith she's talking about so much more than I'm jealous that you kissed another girl you know Um, it's so much more than that and it feels like we've missed a little bit of that opportunity to really land that Um, there's that wonderful moment at the end where she's like I just I need a break you know and Mm -hmm. then they start playing the first strands of close your fucking eyes and goddamn it TV show Every time they play that song, I swear to God, I melt into a puddle of useless. And so there's this wonderful and she starts walking away 
And I so desperately want that moment to end on silence, right? And then we get this, and this is one of these lines that everybody loves. And I can see why people love it because out of this broader context, aside from the possessiveness of you still my girl, you know, like, no, I'm not yours. I don't belong to you. You do not possess (laughs) me, but whatever, like, we'll just like skip past that. And then she says, always. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. always your girl. Like there's something kind of like sweet and wonderful in that. But in this moment, I want this to be a moment where, and again, if we had, like you said, gotten all of this where it wasn't the twist, but we're watching Angel being forced to do something he doesn't want to do because he's doing it for Buffy. But then Buffy is so re-traumatized by that experience of seeing him even pretending to be Angel or even pretending to be Angelus, that it's so hard for her. But the way that it's played is like she's just high school girl petty jealous over Faith. And that plays so flat to me, whereas this, this opening up of that trauma, because trauma, the thing about trauma is that it doesn't exist in the, like, this vacuum. It doesn't happen and then go away. Trauma comes back to you like you're in that moment again, over and over and mm-hmm. over again. And when you feel that, it's like no time has passed at all. You're in that moment. And it that's, I mean, a big part of what trauma does to you. You know, yeah. you never really leave the traumatizing moment, you know? Yeah. Um, and so knowing that and knowing what Buffy's going through and that watching him be Angelus is what's triggering her, not this petty jealousy over faith. You know, mm-hmm. um, I want I want that because I think it speaks to such a greater depth in their relationship than this this like pettiness. Well, it's, and it's just a better, more satisfying story. Mm-hmm. I think so. Um, you know, if she she asks him to do this, mm-hmm. he says, are you sure? And she yeah. says, yes, totally. Sh-. Like, this is going to work. Totally sure. And then they're in it. And oh, shit, I'm triggered in a way that I didn't expect yeah. to be like, yeah that's a great story that's yes. a great I love story that. and then at the end she has the opportunity to change the outcome right mm-hmm. because when you relive i mean <laughs> this is like a legit therapeutic technique yeah. right it's yeah. like you essentially live action role play your trauma yeah but then you change the ending because you mm-hmm. know how it goes right. so she could change the ending and like kiss him like she kissed him before she stabbed him right but then walk away instead of yes. stabbing him oh my it god would be oh so my good. god noelle why can't you go back in time and not be a baby child when they wrote this in that writer's room <laughs> that would have been amazing you were a just a tiny child. tiny little baby child when i was, was a wee TV. wee i was a wee baron when this you was were written a wee baby child but oh my but, god yes yeah. that would be if she went up to him and said, close your eyes. And oh, my God. Him, and then said, <laughs> like, and then just left. I guess she wouldn't say close your eyes. Maybe. No, I don't know. If they, could, if they could if they could put that in there, though. I mean, if they could have that and she rewrites the ending where she just walks away from him in that moment. I mean, oh, my God, that would have been amazing. That would have right? been amazing. Well, we your do rewrite get one... of this episode is incredible. <laughs> we do get one kiss and walk away. Or yeah. kiss and run away. Yeah. Faith and Buffy. That confrontation. Yeah. I mean, that oh that gives me God. that gives me a whole lot of feelings. Oh, that it gives does. me I, I mean, mean g- gay feelings, S and M feelings, but mostly just like <laughs> Faith and Buffy feel I mean, 
you oh, what is God. it that faith has this great line and i meant to write it down and i didn't but it's oh like, she says what are you gonna do b kill me you become me and you're not ready for that and then she kisses her on the forehead and dashes off and it you're is not ready for so that beautiful. yet kisses yeah. her kisses her and then says yet and yeah. then runs away yeah I mean, the power in that moment, that is incredible. And Faith, Faith's feelings for Buffy, you know, are so strong and so real. And I wish they were just a little bit more textual, but all right, it was 1999, like fine, fine. Yeah, it was 1999 and she's evil and not evil. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff. There's a whole bunch of stuff. It's problematic. We've talked about it. But yeah, it it would be nice. It would be nice, and it it again it in it totally enriches the the um, Buffy Angel yeah. plotline because you know I I actually I have to say I do like it when she says you played me you played yeah. me and she's hurt and she's enraged and right. also they beat her at her own game yes and they took, and once so again they took she that loses. away from her she loses she just went on this whole rant about how she loses to Buffy every single time and twice on Sundays and she's sick Mm -hmm. of it and then she's finally going to win. She's finally going to be on top and she's so excited about that and then look, you know, Mm -hmm. and then it all gets turned on her. Um, And so that for Faith is such, such a difficult moment and I love it, but I also love that there she is with a knife at Buffy's throat and she's saying, you can't kill me, right? But in reality, I mean, Faith can't kill Buffy either. Exactly. Faith would never yeah. be able to kill Buffy. So um, all of it is so heartbreaking and difficult. And so there's a lot. I mean, there is a lot. To, I know I opened up with how pissed off I am at this episode. for <laughs> stupid mislead. And for the lying, you know, I mean, the lying is the thing. Like, as long as you don't lie to me, I'm fine. But when you lie to me, I stop yeah. talking to you. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. it. Nobody lies to me anymore. And so Buffy, this bothers me when you lie to me. You violate yeah. my trust and I can't have that. Um, so, yeah, so I don't particularly care for that. But I mean, there's so much else in this episode that is so fantastic. Like, I love we've got we've got this subtle moment in the beginning where uh, Willow says, oh, yeah, I've seen the Ascension mentioned. And Jaws like, yeah. and she's like in the books that you hide from me. <laughs> To which I am confessing to <laughs> violating your trust by yeah. going into those books that you don't want me to see. Like this whole thing. I love everything. And he just gives her that look. And we see this relationship developing with Willow and her, you know, her power and her magic developing, which is something that we're going to be playing on a long haul throughout the rest of this series. Yeah. Um, I love that. I absolutely love that. I love that the demon has a pet goldfish. I love the humanizing of the demon. Of course demon. he does. Of That's kind of fun. Well, yeah, really and we get this idea once again in this episode, you know, Faith says a demon's a demon. Yeah. And Buffy's like, no, he's not, you know, he's not an apocalypse. You know, he's not going right. to end the world. Like, let him go. Yeah. Um, and it's, a, I mean, again, it's a great... Yeah. I love the di- I love the dynamic between Buffy and Faith about being yes. a slayer and you know yes. what it means to have this power and yes. you know all of that. You know, Faith, mm-hmm. despite or maybe because of everything that's happened, is mm-hmm. stake first, ask questions later. Yeah. Um, you know, and Faith believes she's better and that yes. that entitles her to pass judgment on others that she deems lesser. Um, right. But also And then ba- throws that yeah. at Buffy too. You yeah. think you're better than me, right? Yep. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. People are always attacking others for the things they don't like about yes. themselves. You know, oh, the things yeah. they find problematic in, in themselves. Right. But the thing about about Faith and her relationship to slaying is that battling the vampires, the demons, and the forces of darkness is literally her job. Right. So, you know, Buffy lets him go, and we yeah. know that Buffy's right about the demon, or we can assume that Buffy's right, right about mm-hmm. the demon, that he's not super dangerous. I mean, he's renting an apartment. <laughs> like, he's he renting a an apartment. <laughs> like, he's, he's living among us. He's got yeah. a goldfish. He's just trying yeah. to, like, fence these books on the black market. You know, so can, just yeah. get by. So he can get the hell out of Sunnydale. So he can get the I mean, hell out of Sunnydale, which, you know, who can blame him? Yeah. Right. yeah. But, like, it's, again, like, it's it's that fascinating friction mm-hmm. between them that they're both kind of right. In, yeah. You know, it's hard. It's really, really rough. Um, well, it's tough I, to make that judgment call. And Buffy does that all the time, you know. Yeah. And Buffy decides who's... Who's dangerous? Like, I mean, we're going to, you know, deal with this a lot throughout the run. Buffy decides who lives and who dies. Yeah. Buffy decides who's dangerous and who's not. And the thing with Buffy is that her kind of approach and the approach of the show, the philosophy of the show is always about prevention, right? Yeah. Even if somebody has done something terrible, like Spike, right? Spike kills all these people. It's just (laughs) bad news, right? Everybody. But he he kills everybody. He's he's evil. Don't forget he's evil. (laughs) Um, And but he gets a chip in his head. Yeah. And because he can't do more damage, Buffy is not about justice. Buffy is about prevention, right? So she kills only when she has to kill somebody to prevent them from killing other people, from killing mm-hmm. humans, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So um, so I find that a really interesting kind of philosophy. And Buffy really is the ultimate judge and jury on that. Yeah. She decides who lives and who dies. Yeah. And more yeah. so as the series goes on and she oh, yeah. is more alone. The more alone yeah. she becomes, you know, the more responsible she becomes for not just her own life, but everyone around her. Yeah. Um, we see that more and more where she mm-hmm. just she's got to weigh yeah. her options and it's it's rough. It is. <laughs> it's it hard is. out there it's for a really slayer. Tough. It's re- it's hard out there for a slayer. Um, I love this Buffy and Willow uh, conversation that we have, oh of course, where God. Willow instantly deflates the false conflict. What happened when <laughs> you talked to him? Um, and I love this moment too, where Buffy's like, "Oh, you're right. Faith wouldn't do that." She's like, "Faith would totally do totally that. Faith do was that. built to do that. She's the do that girl, right?" I love that. But she, but then you know, Willow brings it back. She's like, "Angel wouldn't do that to you. Angel loves you, you know." And then when she says, "Buffy, I too know the love of a taciturn man," and you have to look at their actions. It makes me so happy. It makes I me so love happy. that so much because we're actually having that discussion over in uh welcome to the end times our, our um, podcast about uh good omens which is uh, you can find it at chipperish.com um welcome to the end times just search for it in your your podcast app of choice we're talking about good omens and how we have two characters there who don't textually state their feelings for each other but if you look at their actions if you look at what they do you mm-hmm. know and in the end that's the only thing you have like people can talk up a great game but it's what yep. they do that oh, makes yeah. the difference. And it's what they do that tells you the truth about who they are, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I love kind of the that Willow brings that up, you know, knowing the love of a taciturn man. <laughs> it's 
they're incredibly sweet. Um, I love this moment, you know, and it's it's one of these like passing things, and I've never really noticed it before. Um, but when Cordelia is talking about Wesley wanting to do, she wants him to do books on tape, which is oh, <laughs> books on tape. Okay, all right, that. okay, kids. So tape. What, how, yes. All right. How do we explain? Just, <laughs> okay. Just Google it. Look it up on the internet. Cassette tape. It's fine. Um, so but Xander looks at uh, at Cordelia and says, way to focus, Cece. Right. You yeah. know, Cordelia Chase, which I think is sweet. And I don't know that anyone has ever called her Cece before or since. It's kind of sweet. I like that it he is. called her Cece. And I kind of wish that he always called her Cece. That would be very cute. <laughs> it is. It is. Cute. It's really sweet. So we don't get a whole lot of Cordelia, but it's it's very sweet what we get. And I like the fact that, again, Wesley's not indulging it. So that's nice. <laughs> I love that Cordelia is on Wesley's team. Oh, yes. And Giles says, there's only the one team. Cordelia and I'm on says, it. And I'm on it. <laughs> I know. It's so great. It's so great. Um, Cordelia is fantastic. I love the fact that Cordelia knows what she wants and she goes after it. And we're always clear on what she wants. I love that about her. She's fantastic. Um, okay. We have a Joyce moment. We don't get much Joyce in this episode, but what we get is truly terrible. Um <laughs> She is opens... there even enough Joyce to be terrible, though? No, I, no, yes, there is. Yes, okay. there is. And right. here is All why. Right. Let, me, let me explain why this sucks. All right. So Joyce, this woman in her 40s, opens the door for her daughter's vampire boyfriend, right? Um, <laughs> like you <and> do. <laughs> as you do. And he walks in and makes a comment on her hair. And she has this look on her face like, oh, well, Angel, you noticed my highlights. She, I mean, she is uh, absolutely just an inch short of grabbing a fan and fanning herself, right? You know, and I'm like, first of all, it is gross for a middle-aged woman to swoon when their daughter's boyfriend comments on their looks, first of all. Um, yes, fine. The daughter's boyfriend is 241 years old and was around for 200 years before Joyce was even born. Fine. Whatever. Regardless, it's still gross. Um, and so I hate the way that we continue to absolutely fail to characterize Joyce. Basically, just fill her full of this is what a woman does gumballs and put in a quarter and whatever comes out, this is bitches be shopping is the next thing for Joyce, right? <laughs> you know? Um, I'm on my period. Women we had sure the, we do had love the shoes. <laughs> we had the let's say the hell with the diet gumball last week, right? Or whenever that was. Oh, God. Um, so it is. She is just this. I mean, I know I've called her a vending machine now, but she's also a gumball machine. <laughs> she's also a gumball. And the gumball comes out and it has some stupid stereotype about women or about middle-aged women or about something. And then we're just like, oh, this is the gumball for today. This is the stupid-ass gumball that we're going to give Joyce. Um, so, yes, that's that's she's on the screen for 30 seconds in this episode. Christine Sutherland deserves better than that. I'm sorry. She's a better actress than that. And she deserves better than that. And I'm pissed off about what they do with Joyce. God. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. There's a little rant for you. For all of you who enjoy my rants. There you go. You got one. You get a rant and you get a Lonnie Diane Rich metaphor, which actually works really well because, of course, with a gumball, you know, exactly. you, chew it up, you chew it up for a while. It loses its flavor. You spit it out. You move on to the next gumball. <laughs> like and you get the never. next gumball, which may not even be related to the, re the previous gumball. They might even be what you might call in conflict with each other, but we don't care because Joyce is a big goddamn gumball machine. 
bubblegum flavor and peppermint. Exactly. <laughs> all sorts of flavors, none of which necessarily actually go together, but whatever. Um, all right. So, Noelle, tell yes. me, what are you wearing this week? Speaking of flavors that don't go together, yes. but that's kind of the point. Um, mm-hmm. Buffy's really pretty boat neck dress yes shirt mm-hmm. it's blue and purple it looks like she's wearing a jumper which of course was really yeah. a jumper an american jumper mm-hmm. <laughs> yes um with a like a boat neck t-shirt underneath mm-hmm. yeah. and she just looks so lovely and it is really I, sweet just, yeah. i want to say something meaningful about this outfit but i really just love it and maybe the maybe the thing about it is it's a nice contrast with the three quarter sleeve button front pleather thing that Faith is wearing. Mm -hmm. And I have headcanoned that this is Faith's idea of a professional look. Right. Well, she now the she's, got now. A, she's got a clothing budget now, right? She works so for she the mayor now, now so, things. you know, button front this shirt is, with a collar. This is my professional, yes. Her, yes, professional faith. Yeah, right. I like it. Um, no, it is very cute. Yeah, and I already talked about how pretty, they just make Faith look so pretty yeah. when she's with the mayor, and that's on purpose to give us the feelings and congratulations. It's working. Yes. And yeah, yeah, that's what I got for this week. All right. All right. So what do we got for the patriarchy? You know, it's uh, it's in our notes. It's ARG, the patriarchy. And it took me however many weeks we've been at this, like, what, like 50 episodes now to be. It should be GER ARG, the patriarchy. GER ARG. ARG. Anyway. Anyway. Yes, anyway. Okay. I mean, mm-hmm. the mayor himself is a great metaphor yes. for the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I can't even be mad about it because it's so masterfully done. Yes, and, that's and, the, and he's supposed yeah. to be evil, so it's okay. Yeah. And it's perfect. I love him yeah. leaning into the patriarchal dad yeah. role. I love yeah. I love the vulnerability of that, but also the kind of ickiness of it because you're like, yeah. oh, no, oh, that's paternalistic in a bad way. Like, no. Right. But, mm-hmm. but it works so well, and he's just so... I, I, I love his whole. I love his whole thing. I love yeah. the mayor. He's no, the he's the patriarchy fantastic. incarnate, and he's wonderful. His whole nineteen fifties thing. You know, yeah. he's he's really bringing us back to that like 1950s sensibility, which was very dark underneath it all. It oh, played yeah. off like this wonderful ideal, you know, and uh, and, and it's clean not. And yeah. Yeah. And no germs. No, no germs. germs. Because, yeah. you know, in the 50s, nobody was gay and nobody had diseases <laughs> and that nothing, you know, <laughs> like that whole, <laughs> yeah, that whole front, that that line of thinking about how oh well in the good old days yeah the good mm-hmm. old days weren't that good <laughs> they were not that good they were not good they were not good for most people i would yeah. say yeah um yeah at least now now everything looks like it's a burning dumpster fire but at least we're honest about but it but at least you <laughs> know 50s, it's a burning dumpster fire in the 50s we put a bow tie on the burning dumpster fire we're ah. like isn't it pretty isn't it pretty? Do you like my mask? Bloody Americans. Um, all right. So what's your girl power moment of the week? I really want to give it to Buffy for her plan to get the information out of Faith, but that all happens yes. off camera. Yes. Ugh. And, you and know, I want and it to be her plan, not Giles's plan, not Angel's plan, her yeah, plan. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, in the universe where somebody who is not me because I was a wee baby, but somebody yes. who writes like I would write this, wrote this, that's the girl power moment of the yes. week. <laughs> um, but I think, I mean, the, the girl power moment of the week, you know, is as often 
Willow, yeah. go talk to mm-hmm. Angel. You, yes. <laughs> come on, Buffy. Like, exactly. I, just, I love it. I love the Willow. The conflict antidote. I love yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Willow, have a conversation, man. Like, it's just go good. do the thing. Do it. It's very good. Well, and that's the rule. If a conflict cannot exist in the presence of an actual conversation, it is false conflict. End of story. End so of story. Willow's at least calling that out. Yes, yes. I like that a lot. Yes. All right. So what's your favorite part? It is that whole scene with Buffy and yeah, Willow. <laughs> yeah. No way. I know what you're thinking. And no way. Faith would totally do that. <laughs> <I would> totally. <laughs> I just so good. So good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. I, too, know the love of a taciturn man is such yes. a great line. It is um, really nice. It's my favorite part. It mm-hmm. has to be my favorite part. Also, the Angelus Faith kiss. Because, yeah. damn. Yeah, no, they, that is a thing. They go for it. And it's they do. real good. It's very nicely done. It's very nicely done. What is your favorite part, Lonnie? God, you know, I mean, there's a lot of it that I really love. But I think that like in the moment, like the most intense moment of delight is just when Xander's walking down the alley and he says, hey, Angel, and Angel just (laughs) punches him in the face. He goes down. That guy just bugs me. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I don't know why that delights me every time. That's it for today. To join in the discussion on Twitter, follow Lonnie at Lonnie Diane Rich and me at Noella Loud and use the hashtag still pretty. Or you can keep Chipperish Media going to the tune of a dollar a month or more and gain access to the live chat in Discord where you can hang out with me and Noelle and all the Chipperish patrons who are still Angel's Girl. You can also show your support by giving Still Pretty a great review on Apple Podcasts or by telling your friends about the show or by chaining Buffy up in your mansion and revealing a German sex dungeon starter (laughs) kit with which you're going to torture her. Only, no, wait, just kidding. She was in on it the whole time. Seriously, don't lie to your audience. Don't lie to your audience, writers. Let this be a lesson to you. We will be back next time with Earshot, the 18th episode of season three. Until then, Faith would totally do that. She was built to do that. She's the do that girl. Do that girl.